Amos chapter 5, verse number 1, and it reads as follows. Hear ye this word, which I take up against you, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel is fallen. She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. For thus saith the Lord God, the city that went out by a thousand shall leave an hundred. And that which went forth by an hundred shall leave ten to the house of Israel. For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek me, and ye shall live. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Uh, seek the Lord, and ye shall live, lest ye lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. Ye who turn judgment to wormwood, Leave off righteousness in the earth. All right, let's pray before we talk about today's verses. Dear God, thank you for the Bible that we have it to study and learn from. Thank you, God, for always uh, uh, watching over us in this congregation. May this congregation have the heart to hear your word, to learn your word, to make your word part of their lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Continuing today with our study of the book of Amos. Now, if you remember, the theme of this book, the overarching theme, and I say it at the end and again and again because I want you to learn this one thing, if you learn nothing else, right, is that Amos is about judgment. Judgment, right? That is the theme. Judgment. We've been talking about various forms about how Amos talks about judgment. Judgment on other countries. Judgment on Israel and Judah. Punishment for judgment. All these sorts of things, right? Recently, we've been studying several what they call, I don't know, speeches? Not necessarily speeches, because it's written down, right? Several arguments? I don't know. Like, we're talking about chapters uh, 3, 4, and 5. Today, 5. And we say this because each of these chapters, 3, 4, and 5, start with the same thing. It says, hear this word, hear this word. So it's like each uh, unit is like a different kind of speech, right? So chapter 3 was one speech, right? Chapter 4 is another speech. And starting today, we study chapter 5 is a different speech. And each one had a different idea. Last time, when we looked at chapter 4, if you remember, talked about a few things that we highlighted, right? We highlighted in chapter 4 that one of the problems of, the, uh, of Israel is that they had the wrong worship, right? That they wanted to do what was easy for them, what they liked. And they didn't follow God's instructions on how to worship him, right? And God tried to call them back, call them back to the right way of doing things by giving punishment, by giving judgment. First, small judgment, right? Then increasing judgment, and then more and more and more, and they never got the message. And we talked about last time, about that's kind of similar to how us parents do things, right? That we don't want to react extremely when your kid does something bad, right? You want to teach them and instruct them, right? And so the first time you give them a small punishment, but if they don't listen, it escalates, right? And God's no different than any parent. He wanted to correct them, correct them from their wrong behavior. He had to keep on escalating and escalating the punishment against Israel for all their sin. So that was what chapter four was about. Let's look in today, what's chapter 5 talking about? And what's the problem here? How does judgment fit in? All that kind of stuff. 
So once again, it starts off with, hear, this, hear ye this word, hear this word. So once again, the call, and this is how we know it's a different section, right? So hear this word. Uh, I take up against you even a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel is fallen. She shall no more rise. Now this is, again, a serious warning of judgment. Your country is going to fall. Your country is going to fall. How bad is it going to be in your country? Verse number three, it says this. It says, the city that went out by a thousand, leave an hundred. So this is kind of like military, right? You send out a thousand soldiers, right? How many are left at the end of the battle? Only a hundred, right? And the next one, it says, the city that sent out a hundred shall leave ten to the house of Israel. This is a pretty big defeat that God's telling them is coming, right? It's like 90% death rate, basically, right? You send out a hundred, uh, you send out 100, only 10 will live. You send out 1,000, only 100 will live, right? 10%. Pretty serious, right? Not like a small judgment that's coming. This is a serious, big judgment, right? And this should scare people, right? When you hear about death, impending death, all this bad stuff's going to happen, you would say like, oh, Amos, tell me, how do I avoid this, right? Amos, you're telling me we're all going to die? 90% of us are going to die what do we do? What do we do? How do we avoid this? How do I not die? Well, Amos gives us the answer from God's mouth. Very simply in chapter, I mean, verse number four. Verse number four, what does he say? He said, this is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and ye shall live. Seek me and ye shall live. That's the message. That's the core message of what we'll see in chapter 5. Chapter 5 is all about seeking God. Seeking God. And we're going to hear this phrase repeated over and over again, right? Seek. Seek. And Amos is pretty good about that. Pretty formulaic, right? We hear the same thing over and over again, right? Last time, we talked about how he said over and over again, yet have ye not returned unto me. This time, in this chapter, the repeated phrase is going to be seek. Seek me. Seek this, seek that, right? So this was all about how do we avoid that judgment? What do we seek to avoid that judgment, right? The one about horrible, horrible death. He makes it so simple. God makes it so simple. Seek ye me and ye shall live. You see, God is always, always ready for repentance. That's one of the big overarching themes of the minor prophets that we, as we've been studying them, whether it be in Hosea or Joel or the other books we've studied. We know that God is a loving God. And some people might look at all these things and say, God's horrible, right? Look at this. 90% of the people will die. Isn't that horrible? Horrible. He's so mean. No, it's not that God's so mean. It's that God is so loving and willing to withhold his judgment all the time always giving Israel a chance to come back, always having people to instruct them, sending them prophets after prophets, telling them, hey, if you want to avoid this, what do you do? Well, you repent. You come back to me. You come back to me. He's a loving God. He's not a God that's quick to anger and quick to destroy, right? If you were... Israel probably would not exist today, right? They probably would have been killed way, way, way back long ago for all the sins that they did. But no, 
over and over again, he tries to give them a way out. And the way out is simple. The way out is simple. If you want life, you follow me. And ultimately, we know that even today, that's the same standard that God has set for all of us. Because if we truly want life, we want to live on and on and on. The only thing that we can do, the only thing that we can control is to follow God. How so? Well, we know this. All of you guys have been doing witnessing for math camp and been doing witnessing before and heard it standing around and been around church long enough to know this, that we all face death, right? That's a fact certain. We know there's also true certain things, right? Like, oh, of course, God blesses those that follow him, right? God protects people. It's kind of cliche to say, oh, if you worship God, he'll protect you and bless you. And, you know, we hear on the Thanksgiving testimony sometimes these fabulous stories about how someone, I don't know, was in like a car accident and miraculously they survived or something, right? But here's the truth. For all those stories and all these things on earth, no matter how much God protects you here, sooner or later, you will die, right? Might not be in tomorrow might be when you're 90 years old or 100 years old or whatever, right? But you still die. The only way to avoid the final death is by seeking God, isn't it? That when we have Jesus Christ to take away your sins, that's why you get everlasting life, right? You get life forever by seeking God. To have God on your side, to repent of your sins, to have Jesus Christ take away your sins. And no different was it for the people in the time of the prophets that if they wanted life, you know, they weren't just focused on the next battle, right? God even said in the next battle, 90% of people will die, right? But the question is, do you want to be A, part of the 10% that live, and B, part of the people that live not only after the battle, but that live forever? Seek me, Seek me if you want to live. That's what God's message is. Very simply, very plainly. The same message that's for us today. So, you know, people ask, you know, what's the, what's, what's the, what's the secret? You know, what, do you, what, what, what is it about being a Christian? It's as simple as this. It's as simple as this. God's message is the same thousands of years ago as it is today, right? He just wants people to come to him to seek him in repentance. But what do people do instead? What do people do instead? So this is what chapter 5 continues on. Here we go. The word seek again in verse number 5. But seek not. Seek not. So this is how you don't seek, right? But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not into Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come and come to naught. Okay. So what does it mean here? Seek not Bethel, enter not Gilgal, pass not Beersheba. This is just telling us what not to do when we seek God. So you're supposed to seek God and you live. But when you seek God, don't do X, Y, and Z. So why does Amos point out these X, Y, and Zs? Well, if you guys were paying attention a few times ago, now it's a couple months ago, so probably y'all forgot by now, right? But we talked about these places previously, about... Uh, Gilgal and uh, Bethel and Beersheba, what were these places, right? Some of you guys might think, these sound familiar, right? Like these are like names you heard about before in the Bible. And you're right. If you read in the book of like Genesis and stuff like that, 
These are like famous places in the Bible. Stuff happened there, right? Good stuff happened there even, right? These are famous stuff, locations in the Bible. But I told you guys previously that by the time of Amos, by his time, what had happened to these places? What had happened was people had set up their own little temples there, thinking, oh, well, because this is a famous place, we can worship God in this place, right? Oh, we can set up our own thing here. When they knew that God's instruction was to go to his temple, which was located in Jerusalem, right? You're supposed to do the big stuff in Jerusalem. Go worship God there in the big temple, right? The temple that Solomon built. But they didn't do that. I guess they're because they're lazy. I don't want to go all the way to Jerusalem. I can go to here, the substitute place. It's closer. I'll go to Bethel. I'll go to Gilgal, right? Isn't that just as good, right? That was like a famous place, right? But that's not the way God works, right? You know, you can't just say this because this is the place that's famous. I'm going to go there and I don't care about the real place, right? It doesn't work in real life too, right? It doesn't work in the way today. You can't say like, oh, like Nathan's slideshow last week. Oh, I, I want to change the government. So I'm going to go to Boston. That's where all the famous government stuff went on, right? I'm going to Boston and fix the government there. No, government's in Washington, D.C. You got to go to Washington, D.C. That's the right place, right? So they're going to the wrong place. They say, I want to go worship God. I'm going to come to Bethel. I'm going to come to Gilgal. I'm going to come to Beersheba. This is wrong. It went to the wrong place. And why should have they known right away that's the wrong place? We know from the historical record, we know from what's in the Bible, that those places became overrun with idols. Right? So someone built a temple there and saying, this is the lazy man temple. Don't go to Jerusalem. Right? And people started putting idols up in these temples too. Right? Here's your golden calf, your whatever, right? Put some in there too. So it's convenient worship for all, right? But the wrong worship. In fact, again, we studied the whole chapter four about that, right? About how Israel was worshiping in the wrong way. So once again, this is the warning from Amos. He's saying, this is the way. You've got to repent. You've got to come back to God. But coming back to God doesn't mean doing it the lazy way doesn't mean doing it the way that shows that you have no heart of repentance. Because what does it tell God if you say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. I want to make it up to you. I'm going to do it right. I'm going to be good now. I want, want protection from you. But I still don't want to follow your rules. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to go to Jerusalem. I'm just going to go and do my own thing still. It's pretty meaningless, right? It becomes like an empty word to say, right? And I give you this example a lot about my own kids, right? How sometimes they have empty words in their repentance, right? So, uh, you know, the example being like, oh, like, you know, my, my boy will hit my daughter, right? They hit each other. And so you say, hey, you can't hit them. You got to say, sorry, right? They say, oh, say sorry to your sister. Don't hit your sister anymore, right? And then you might say, sorry. And then he hits the sister again, right? Immediately. It's like, what's the point of saying sorry? You have to have the action that backs it up, right? It's not just you say sorry. It's you say sorry, and then you have the action that backs it up to say that, oh, this is truly being sorry. I'm not going to hit you again, right? You learn their lesson. You know, people, when we want to see if someone truly, like, uh, listens, or cares, 
you can see if they follow the instructions, right? If you don't follow the instructions, it gets even more frustrating sometimes, right? I know this happens to me. I get yelled at this all the time, right? For example, you know, I want to go help clean up around the house, right? I'm going to go wash this thing or whatever, right? And so I'll go wash it. But me being a guy, right, I'm kind of lazy and I'm trying to wash something. And, oh, you know, you rinse it underwater a little bit and then it's, you know, it doesn't look dirty anymore. You stick it on the dish rack and there you go. It's done. It's clean. It's washed, right? And then my wife will come take a look at that and say, what did you do? I told you to wash this thing, right? And you didn't wash it at all. You just like threw some water on it and you said it was done. It's still dirty, right? The way you do it is you got to use the soap and the sponge and you got to wash it two times and put it under hot water and do all this stuff. That is the real way you wash it. You didn't listen and now what? Now I got to do it all over again. It's as if you didn't wash it at all, right? Because you didn't follow my instructions, as it's as if you didn't do it. You wasted your time doing it. There was no point. That's the same way God looked at Israel. He called them back to seek him, to come back the right way, to worship him, to have a heart of repentance. If they go off and do their own thing and say, my version of repentance is I go to Bethel and I go worship there among all the idols, that's wrong. That's like not repenting at all. That's like doing completely the wrong thing. Their heart is not into it. Not enough to even follow the instructions. They knew the instructions. They had the law. It was written down. They knew the way to get back to God. They knew the way of repentance. This is the warning from Amos. Hey, don't go down the wrong path. When you seek him, seek him earnestly. Seek him to do the right thing. To have the right heart of repentance. And so much so is it for us today. Same thing, right? When we repent of our sins to God and we pray for forgiveness for our sins, we too ought to have that same heart to know that we are sorry for what we did wrong, right? To understand that our sin is a problem. And, you know, piggybacking on something that Nolan was talking about a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know, the thing that I would offer up as a uh, clarifying statement to something he said about people today and the sins that people do today and how he would doubt, and this is what he said a few weeks ago, right? He doubted that people who were you know, homosexual could really get saved because they don't have a heart of repentance. And that kind of goes in line with what we're talking about here, right? That when you turn to God and saying, God, I'm sorry for your sins, right? Can you at the same time Revel in your sins and say, yes, I love my lifestyle and love this sin that I'm doing. Do those things reconcile with each other? In that sense, it's no different than, like I said, my son who says, I'm sorry for hitting you and then turns around and hits you a second later, right? That doesn't show that you're really sorry, right? That you're just saying it could be empty word. So I won't go as far as what Melvin said to say that, oh, no one who's homosexual can be saved. I think someone who is homosexual can be saved, right? But they have to have what? The same thing that God says here, to have repentance, true repentance, right? Sometimes people sin. We're all sinners. Being homosexual is no different than any other sin, right? There's no, no different than all the other bad things that people do, you know? 
But if you're sorry for it and you repent from it, that qualifies you for salvation, does it not? But how rare is it? How rare is it? And this is where Melvin is right. How rare is it the person that says, I'm doing this every day and I'm continuing to do it every day and continue to sin against you and I know it's wrong against you. Do they pray every day, God, I'm doing wrong, but I'm sorry for it? You know, that's, if they do, then I believe they could be saved, right? That they know they're doing wrong. They just can't help it. They do it wrong. It's no different from the person, the Christian that drinks alcohol, right? And gets drunk. Sometimes they're addicted to alcohol. They can't do it. They can still be saved, right? But, you know, they know if they know it's wrong, then they're probably still saved, right? On the flip side, if they drink alcohol and they say nothing's wrong, I get drunk every single day. In the same way, Melvin doubts if the homosexual person is saved. I would doubt if that person that gets drunk every day and says God thinks it's perfectly fine. I would doubt that that person is saved too, right? Because the idea is that where is your heart? Where is your heart? Is your heart in the right place? Are we doing it the right way? Are we repenting the right way? So again, this is the warning that Amos had, right? Don't go to Bethel. Don't go to Gilgal. Don't go to Beersheba. That's the wrong way. You're going to do it the wrong way. You're going to follow the wrong thing if you go there. Seek ye, seek ye me and ye shall live, right? Verse number six now we're reading. Seek the Lord and ye shall live, lest he break out fire in the house of Joseph and devour it there and there be none to quench it in Bethel. Right? The fire is coming. Right? The fire is coming. And if you go to Bethel, there's no one there to put out the fire. Right? If there's going to be no one there to put out the fire, you're going to the wrong place. The fireman's not located there. Right? Fireman's located in Jerusalem where the temple is. Right? You got to go there. Bring your offerings there. Bring yourself there. Even though, oh, it's hard. I don't want to go there. It's so far. It's a long journey. People say that today, don't they? Oh, it's so hard to get to church. It's so far. I got to wake up early. It's Sunday. I wish I could sleep in. I don't want to be here or whatever, right? No, 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 no. We got to make it out there. In the same way, God wanted them, even back in Amos' day, to go to the temple to worship in the right way. Because they need protection. Because they did all this stuff. Verse number seven, the last verse we read. Ye who turn judgment into wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. They had sinned, didn't they? And we talked about this before in the previous verses, in previous chapters in Amos, about how they perverted judgment. That was their sin, right? Israel. That they were so self-centered. So self-centered. They didn't care about the poor. They didn't care about compassion. They didn't care about justice. Right? They didn't care about that. That's what he means by turning judgment to wormwood, right? Judgment is supposed to be a righteous thing, right? That, oh, we judge people fairly. We do the right thing and treat them the right way, right? We don't screw people over. And we studied in the past in Amos, Israel's problem was that they did do that, right? They didn't care. They only cared about themselves. And this is also reflected in the way they worshipped. Oh, we're going to worship the lazy way, the way that's best for myself. And also, Amos is warning them, don't apply that same thing in the way you repent. The self-centered way of repenting. I want to repent, but I want to do it in the laziest way possible, in the way that doesn't follow what you say, God. There's only one way. God gave us one way. Even today, there's one way. People think there's other ways, right? People think, oh, I can get salvation with God in all these different ways. I can follow another God. Let me follow Allah. Let me follow Buddha. Let me follow Confucius or whatever. 
That's not right. That's not the right way. There's one way, right? Even people who claim to be Christians, oh, like the Catholic Church, I can get to heaven. How to do? I can buy an indulgence or whatever. That will get me to heaven, right? That's another way I can do it, right? No, there's only one way. One way. Seek God. Seek God. Have Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is your salvation. Period. Period. It's not a hard way. But there is only one way. Even today, people think, oh, this is, the, this is my way. It's better. I don't need to do it that way. You can worship your way. I think I can get to heaven this way. Right? And we know, of course, that is wrong. People are falling the wrong way. And that only leads to destruction. That's like, as it said in verse 5, right? That's like, uh, verse 6, right? It's like looking for the firefighter in the wrong house, right? You want the fire, someone to put out the fire, you went to the wrong place, no fireman there, no one's going to help you, right? You want to go to heaven, you want to avoid the fire of hell, there's only one firefighter for you. That's Jesus Christ. We'll hear more about what Amos says about seeking God in the rest of chapter 5 next time, but we're out of time right now, so let's bow forward to prayer and wrap up. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible, that we have learned from. May we learn from the message of Amos here, a simple message, ridiculously simple message, right? Seek me and ye shall live. Hopefully all of us here have already done that, right? Seek God and have Jesus Christ as our personal Savior so that we can live forever in heaven with you. And let us share that message with as many people as possible. Thank you, God, for this Sunday. Hope you continue to bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.